Well, it's good to see you this morning. Yeah, if you're a guest, I'm David. We're glad you're here. I'm the pastor. Especially glad today. It's first weekend of spring break. We have a lot of folks traveling. We're glad you guys are here. We know who loves Jesus right now because y'all came on the first Sunday of spring break. Uh, I think it was, let's see, 40 years ago in the fall of 1979, I uh, went to college at Trinity University and as a freshman, like many freshmen, I had an academic advisor. My academic advisor just so happened to be the vice president of academic affairs. I mean, I had the head honcho of all academics. And, you know, and Dr. Palmer, Dr. Dean Palmer was his name. And when you have someone of that magnitude, you know, it's a little iffy. But I can promise you this. Uh, back in 79, I would rather have Dean Palmer as my advisor than Dean Wormer. I can guarantee that right now. How many actually got that particular choke? Raise your hand, huh? Just a handful of you. Most of you don't know what that is. I feel so sorry for you because that is really pretty funny if you know what I'm talking about. I'm laughing on the inside. I'm killing myself right now. So we go there and Dr. Palmer asked me this question. He said, David, what is the one thing you think people want more than anything in life? What is it? And I said, Dr. Palmer, I'll tell you, I think what they really want is to be happy. I'm 18 years old. I'm young. And happiness was important when you're 18. And he said, you know, David, I think it's a pretty good answer. Now, 10 years later, I'm 28 years old, and I have a wife and a kid, and I've been in ministry nine years, and at that point, I don't think happiness is what people seek. What I have learned that what really matters for most people in life, regardless of who you are, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your philosophy, what people want to know in life is that their life has meaning, their life has purpose, their life has significance, that they matter somehow. 30 years ago... I was getting ready to uh, pastor a youth camp, and I was coming up with some sermons, and I wanted something out of the ordinary, and I was in an unusual passage to be taking you through, and I kind of was in what I would call the back road of Scripture. You know, one of those passages you just kind of look at, and we're in a series entitled Back Roads. Just like you can travel back roads and find some cool things in life, you can go to the back roads of the Bible and find some real gems. And I found, I found the passage that just spoke, and it was from the book of Ecclesiastes. And that passage, even though it was a message designed for young people, that passage has stayed with me and stayed with me all of my life. And here, 30 years later, it still speaks to me. And so on this back road, we're going to come to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9, through chapter 12, verse 1, just three verses, about remember God, the importance to remember God. And we're going to read the passage as normal through the New American Standard Translation, but we're also going to look at the New Living Translation as well. So here's what it says. <clears throat> it says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be a pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life Fleeting. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. The New Living Translation translates it this way. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry. And keep your body healthy, but remember that youth with the whole life before you is meaningless. And don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant. 
anymore. So we're going to come to this passage today. And here's the thing that I really want you to see. If you will remember that our life comes from God and is accountable to God, then life can have meaning and purpose. If we will remember that our life comes from God and our life has to give an account back to God, life can have both meaning and purpose. So what I'm going to do today is share three things with you uh, from this passage that I hope will speak to you. And the first thing I want you to see is this, that life is to enjoy. Uh, back in the 70s, I went to high school. Great time to go to high school, I think. And I love the 70s. It's hard to believe that it was that long ago. I look in the mirror sometimes, and I can't believe how time has passed. As I come up on a 40-year high school reunion, I look at some of the, the, the pictures of some of the people I went to school with, and I think, my goodness, they look so old. What happened to them, you know? I, you know I'm, to me, I'm looking, look, look, you still look young. I still, you know, look and act. A lot younger, I think. I act that way anyway. So yeah, we got a reunion coming up. But, but back then, you know, we had this phrase, and it was go for it. I mean, someone would come up with an idea. We were young. We had our whole life ahead of us. Just go for it. Do you think we ought to go to the lake this weekend? Go for it. Do you think I ought to ask that girl out? Go for it. I mean, do you think we ought to do this or that? And we just say, go for it. Life was to be enjoyed. you got to go for life. And in a way, that's kind of what Solomon is saying here. The book of Ecclesiastes is a really unusual book, most likely written by Solomon. In chapter 1, we're told that the author is a guy called the teacher, or the preacher, the Hebrew word is Kohelet. And uh, it's a book written by an older guy, reflecting on life, writing to a bunch of younger guys, or a one young guy at least, giving them advice. And most likely Solomon is the author. And, and, And it would be like someone my age writing a bunch of college kids. To give them some wisdom and guidance through life. Solomon does the same thing in the book of Proverbs. He wrote many Proverbs. A lot of them pertain to the young man. To guard and to watch your life. And the book of Ecclesiastes, if you just read it through, can be kind of a depressing book. I mean, it really is. Uh, back when I was pastoring Laredo, I taught through Ecclesiastes on Wednesdays one time. And when I was through, I had several people come up to me and say, please don't ever teach that book again. It's just depressing. Because constantly what you see Solomon saying is, everything is meaningless, vanity of vanity, everything is empty. But what Solomon tells them, and he's talking as a man who has lived life, he says, look, if you pursue money, that is possessions, if you pursue pleasure, if you've pursued power, and he has pursued all of those things, your life will be meaningless, your life will be empty. The pursuit of the wrong thing Leaves you empty, and he spends almost the whole book talking about it. At the very end of the book, in chapter 12, he talks about pursuing or turning to follow the commands of God. That's where you find meaning. And right before he gets to that part, he just, he just has this admonition, this encouragement for people who are young. He says to them, enjoy life. Rejoice. Life is to be enjoyed. Now, he has just spent time, a great deal of time, talking about how meaningless life can be. And it is meaningless. If you pursue pleasure, if you pursue power, if you pursue possessions, life will be empty. But he says you can still enjoy life while you're young. Do so. And you may say, well, well, how do you do that? If you can't pursue those things, how would you enjoy life? And he gives some guidelines. He says follow, and he mentions two things. With the understanding that you should not pursue pleasure, power, and possessions. He says this. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires that your eyes have. Now, 
The heart is not just a place of emotions. The heart is the place where we make commitments. We make decisions. It's the decision-generating part of your life. You tend to go after where your eyes see. And so what he's saying is this. Follow the inclinations, the things that your heart wants, those things that you want to decide. Go ahead. The things your eyes see, if something attracts you, if something appeals to you, go ahead. Remember that what is vain and what is empty and meaningless is to pursue power, possessions, and pleasures. Keeping that in mind, go after life. Live your life. Here's the thing. God gives us life to enjoy. We forget that far too often. That our life is to be enjoyed. God created us so too many times we have this idea within Christianity, and, and Baptists are, are some of the worst at this, that if you have fun and you enjoy life, that there's something wrong with you. That life shouldn't be enjoyed. I, I can remember, uh, it's not so common now, but when I was younger and a young minister, you know, and, and I try to use a lot of humor, I attempt anyway, so some of you didn't get the humor early on because there's something deficient uh, with you understanding what's funny. But here's the thing, I can remember when guys would come up and say, you shouldn't tell jokes. Preaching is no time to be funny. And you, I mean, I was like, why can't you have humor? Why can't you enjoy life? Why does everything have to be so serious, so gloomy, so negative? God didn't make us that way. Go to Genesis, the very beginning, the very beginning of Genesis. What did God make? He made this park. And he told Adam and Eve, enjoy everything in there. Just don't eat of that one tree. Leave that one tree alone. Enjoy all of it. In the evening, God would walk with Adam and Eve. And they would enjoy the cool of the day. Right up until the time sin came into the world. Go to the end of the Bible. The end of Revelation. You see heaven described just like the park in Genesis. It was a park. A place to be enjoyed. To, to live life. In, 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 in the Old Testament they have all these festivals. And we normally think of the festivals and the religious connotations and they're important. But festivals were a time to leave behind work and to celebrate life. And they celebrated. Jesus Probably the first miracle, at least the first recorded miracle we had. He is at a wedding, and they run out of wine, and Jesus turns water into wine. Now, I know as Baptists, that's problematic. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, it really wasn't wine. He turned it into grape juice. Listen, have you ever seen grape juice at a wedding? I haven't. I mean, even a Baptist wedding. You know what we do at a Baptist wedding? We don't serve grape juice. We have this punch, this secret punch that the ladies come up with. And it's, it's like a mixed drink, really. It's our version of a cocktail. It's got some ice cream and some of this and some of that. We, at my wedding, when they made this wedding at Debbie and I, they created this punch, and nobody knew what was in it. And everybody has their own secret punch. But you know what you never find at a wedding? Grape juice. Come on. He turned water into wine, all right? And, and so they celebrated. And, and, and so celebrating life is a good thing. We ought to enjoy life. God gave us life to enjoy. The problem is we pursue the wrong things. And Solomon spends most of the book saying, listen, if you try to build your life to have as much money as you can, your life is wasted. If you try to get your life to be about glory and fame, about having power to control people, your life is meaningless. And if your life is to pursue one relationship after another relationship, your life is empty. And people all around us, people here, live lives that have lacked meaning because they pursued the wrong thing. Here's it. Our pursuits are vain because they lack true meaning. 
So here's the thing. How do you find meaning in what you pursue? Well, we have to go on past the first point. Life is for us to enjoy, yes. But also to understand this, life has limitations. Life has limitations. I think it was Dirty Harry that says, man, it's got to know his limitations. We do. Now, boundaries are important. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we kind of wish we could live life without boundaries, without limits. I think it's popular in the culture today to say, no limits, no boundaries. Well, there's always boundaries. Most people like to swim. When I was younger, I always loved to swim out in the river, either the Frio River or the Guadalupe River. I love the river. And, and here's the thing. But wherever I would swim, and most likely, whether it be a river, the pool, the ocean, there's boundaries, right? I mean, you want to be able to touch bottom. Even in a swimming pool, if you can't touch bottom, you know that it's just a couple feet below you. You can grab onto something. In the river, you know, most of the time in the rivers where I would swim, you know, it only come up no more than waist deep. You go tubing, you have a good time. But there's always the shore, right? The shore, you can always go to shore. You go out to the, to the beach, you're on the, the sand, you can walk out into the water, but you can always back back. You know where you never really want to go swimming? And anybody who says they want to do this, they're just, they're, they're just pulling your leg. They're crazy. You don't want to go several hundred miles out into the ocean, have someone drop you and say, swim without boundaries. I mean, if you feel anything under your feet at that point, it's probably going to eat you, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not going to make it. Why? Boundaries protect us. Boundaries are important. So Solomon says this, no, no. That God will hold you into an account for everything you do. Hey, enjoy life. That's good news. But i got to warn you about something. God's going to hold you accountable for every decision you make. For everything you do, he'll hold you accountable. And that just doesn't mean in the time of the judgment. It means in life. He says, so be careful. And turn away from or flee those things that cause anxiety or anger, or grief, or sorrow in your heart, and those things that cause you pain pull your body from them. And so, here's kind of what he's saying. And he says, your heart is the place of decision, but in your decision, you can cause yourself sorrow. And it depends on the version. There's all sorts of words you use. Grief, anger, you, you can, anxiety. You can cause yourself these things. So in other words, the decisions you make can cause you guilt, regret, and remorse. And you can make decisions when you're young that you'll regret the rest of your life. You can be forgiven for them. It's not that. You'll regret them. I'm 58. I made decisions when I was a teenager that I regret to this day. If I could go back and change that, I would change that thing. Would you do that part over again? Nope. I'd do it differently. Because I regret what I have done. And had I not done that then, I would have saved myself a lot of sorrow along the way. But not only that, you can make decisions when you're young that will affect your body, will cause you pain your entire life. And you can live wild when you're young, but sooner or later, you've got to pay for that wild life. And you've got to feel it. And so Solomon's saying, be careful. Don't live your life that way. He says, remember this, you're going to have to give an account of all you do before God. And so, here's the thing. Youthfulness, he says, is fleeting or meaningless. In other words, you're not going to stay long, young forever. I, when you are young, it's just, you, you keep wanting to grow up. I can remember, you know, when I was little, I couldn't wait until I became a teenager. And when I was a teenager, I wanted to become 16 so I could try. And when I was 16, I wanted to become 18. And now I'm 58. And, and I'm like, why did I want to do that so fast? I mean, it, it flies by. 
And here's the thing. Life gets tough. And the older you get, life gets hard. And you face a lot of battles and a lot of struggles. Some of them you face because you made dumb decisions when you were young. Because you believe life has no limits. Listen, God gives us life to enjoy, but he has limitations to go with that life. He gives us life to enjoy, but there are limitations that go with it. (sighs) Limitations keep us safe. And God doesn't have us have limitations because he wants us to be unhappy. He gives limitations because he knows in our sinfulness, if we go too far, we'll, we'll struggle. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Samson. You may not realize this, but when you look at King David, the great King David, that should have been Samson. It really should have. Samson was a child of promise. That means when his parents were old, God promised him a child and he would be a unique child. They were to set him apart and dedicate him to God. And there were three things about his life that that's marked him off as a child of promise that dedicated him. He wasn't supposed to eat the fruit of the vine at all. He wasn't supposed to touch anything. And to not eat the fruit of the vine means no wine, no grape juice. So that covered Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, everybody. Y'all, we all have a part of that. He couldn't touch a dead thing, a corpse, and he couldn't cut his hair. Samson had this beautiful long hair, and that hair, you know, was, was represented in his strength. That he has this amazing strength. But Samson blew all that away. Samson drank. Samson, you know, touched, not just that he killed people, but he touched dead dead things, corpses. And then with that whole thing, he got his hair cut. And when Samson got his hair cut, because he had completely disobeyed God, he lost all his strength. And so when it came time to fight the Philistines, he couldn't fight them anymore. And they took him as a prisoner and bound him, and they tore out his eyes. And he was weak and powerless and blind. He thought he could do anything. He thought he could drink, touch what was dead, get his hair cut, and he was Samson, and there were no limits. And Samson found out life has limitations. That's not the hard way. Now, while he was in prison, he began to review his life and renew his relationship with God, evidently. And so there came a time when his hair was growing back, and the Philistines brought him out to one of their temples to make sport of him, it says. And he had one last prayer left in him. He said, God, one last time. Give me my strength to get vengeance on the enemies, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll kill them all. And so he, they, God gave him the strength. His hair was grown back. He was between two columns. He pushed those columns, and the roof of the, the place came down. The temple came down, and Scripture says he killed more Philistines when he was dead than when he was alive. That is a lousy thing to have put on your grave. All because Samson didn't realize life has limitations. Go on the New Testament. It's the story of the prodigal son, most likely based on real events. This was a kid who grew up. With every advantage, a loving father, a wealthy father. But this kid wanted to pursue possessions. He wanted to pursue pleasure. And he wanted to pursue the power that came with both. He said, Daddy, give me my money. So his dad gave him his money. And it says he went off and lived in the far country. And pursued all those things. And then he ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, he had no more possessions. There was no way for him to buy pleasure. He had no more power. And then a famine hit. And he was broke, dead broke. He was scrounging and living among the pigs. In fact, the pigs ate better than he did. And said, I can go home. And he went home and apologized and repented of his sin. And his dad restored him. But here's the thing. He could have escaped all of that sorrow and misery and suffering if he'd have understood life has limitations. We must say no as well as we say yes. We must learn that sometimes we have to say no. But here's the problem. And you see it in our culture today. 
and it's a, and it's a problem in so many cultures. We, you know, so many times we want, we want to have so much money and stuff that we make our goal to get everything we can and we're miserable inside. We have all that stuff and we have nothing. Or we'll make it our goal to experience as much pleasure as we can, especially when we are young, not realizing that there's a price to pay when you pursue pleasure. It sometimes it comes back. It will come back at some point to get you in your body. And people go from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship. And they use people up and destroy lives all so they can get pleasure. And in the end, life has no meaning. It is useless. It is empty. It is vain. It has no purpose. Because we didn't understand that life has limitations. So here's the thing. Life is to enjoy. But life has limitations. And the third thing is this. that Life is for God. At the end of the day... God created us to have a relationship with him. So that's why Solomon could write this. After everything he had written in all of this book, he could say, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The word remember means to focus on, to concentrate, make it your goal. Who? Your creator. Now, he could have said God, but he wanted to use the term creator to remind us that God creates us. He creates us for a reason. He creates us for purpose. To have a relationship with him. And in that relationship with him is where life has value and meaning. So when you're young, remember him. And here's the reason. Because if you don't focus on God when you're young, you probably won't focus on God when you're older. That's just a fact of life. Now, I know there are always exceptions. And there are people who come to God later in life. But I will simply tell you this. If when you are young... You are not focusing on God and parents if you don't raise your children and grandparents, your grandchildren, if you don't raise them to focus them on God when they were young, the odds are when they will get older, they'll have nothing to do with God. Solomon says this, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil or the troubled times come and you say, I have no pleasure in life. If you don't have God in your life, when difficulties come, life has no value. You have no pleasure. Life has no meaning or purpose. That's why it's so important and so critical that you learn that when you're young. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm an older man. I've lived life. I've pursued power and pleasure. I've pursued possessions. All of that's meaningless. The only thing that has value in life is God. If that's the case, then remember God when you were young. Because otherwise, you're just going to live for yourself. You either live for God or you live for self, one or the other. And to live for self is to live without purpose. If you live for yourself, if you push God aside, and I'm going to pursue power, pleasure, and possessions, if that is your goal, you live for self, your life has no purpose. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's lived in vain. So here's the thing. The only real way for life to have meaning and to have any sense of value is when we live to honor God. So remember God. The only way for life to have that sense of meaning and value is to live for God. So honor God in your life. Remember God in your life. And the thing about it is this. The older you get, the harder it is to do that. I have a lot of people who are my friends who don't live for God now. And they probably never will. 
Because they're at a point where they're just not going to do it. We, we know some things. I mean, this is held true. I've been in ministry 38 years, almost 39. And certain things have held true that entire time. And that is this. People who are followers of Christ, true followers of Christ, somewhere between 80 to 90 percent, usually depends on the survey that's done, mostly it's closer to 90, we'll just say 85 percent, 85 percent of all people thereabouts who are followers of Christ became a follower of Christ before they turned 18 years of age. Stone cold fact, you all the time. I could, I could take everybody that comes to our church on Sunday morning that's a follower of Jesus, and when all is said and done, that stat will hold you. That's why, you know, you look at this building, and we're just in phase one. If you're fairly new, we're in phase one of this building. We have another phase to go. And if you would like to give $6 million, we can start on that tomorrow, by the way. I'm just pointing that out. Just write that check. We will take your money. You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus. I'll take your gas either way. But we built a place to worship because worshiping and honoring God is what's most important. And then the other thing we built was space for preschool and children because they're the ones who are most likely to come to Jesus. Now, youth also, but youth a little more flexible. And so, you know, we got a, we got a, a youth pastor who is capable of helping them work through not having space. But here's the thing. Our priority in life is people who are young because we know that if they will come to Jesus now and they will remember, remember God now, then they'll remember him when they're older. But if they don't come to God now, if they don't come to Jesus while they're young, then the odds are they won't do that when they're older. Now, there's exceptions to that. Some of you may be exceptions. I said, there's always exceptions, 15% exception. But across the board, it holds true over and over and over again. You come to when we baptize. Who do we baptize? Children, youth, adults who were saved when they were children and youth but hadn't been baptized yet, or someone who hasn't been immersed. And that happens all the time. This is it. This is the, this is the reality. We know that to be true. Hey, parents, do this. Teach your children about Jesus. Grandparents. If your kids won't, get it in there. And I know, I know, sometimes it's grandparents. You know, parents have very strict rules about their kids, and there's only certain things you can do. I get this. I'm going to tell you this. My granddaddy used to slip me 20 bucks all the time without my mama knowing it. You can slip a little Jesus in there with your kids without the you know, grandkids without their parents knowing if you have to. It's okay. Just slip a little Jesus in there. Here's the thing. If you want them, when they're older, to have a life that has meaning and purpose, help them when they're younger to know Christ. Church, if you want to impact the city of Las Cruces, it's not by spending all our time working with adults. It's important as you are. We work with children so that they'll come to Christ, and in 15 and 20 years, they'll impact our community. It's just the way it is. It's reality. I didn't make this up. It's just the way it is. Now, we love all people. I get that. We want all people to come to Jesus, and I understand that. I'm just telling you that if you will focus on young people, children and youth, get them while they're young, they have a greater chance of coming to Christ and being a follower of Jesus when they're older, which means this. When they're older, their life will have meaning and purpose because if they don't remember God, their life is lived in vain. It is just empty. The only way to remember God is to know Jesus Christ. It's the only way. The only way for us to truly have a life, a purpose, is to remember God. And the only way to remember God is to have Jesus. If you want your life to have purpose, if you want your life to have meaning, know Jesus. If you want to see the people you love have a life of meaning and purpose, help them to come to know Jesus. The younger, the better. It's just the way it works. Solomon. He wrote this book, man. 
He said, life is meaningless when you pursue pleasure, possessions, and power. But if you will turn to follow God, life can be enjoyed. It'll have limits. But you can enjoy life when you follow God. And you follow God through Jesus. When I was looking at my notes this week, going back over the years that I had written things down and other stuff. And and every sermon is always fresh and new, but I always look over my old stuff. And I found found a note that I wrote from 30 years ago. We were were getting ready to do our our 10-year reunion, and I was kind of helping out. And and I saw this little note, and it had reunion, and it had a girl's name, and I knew the name, and it had next to it suicide. And I thought to myself this week, oh, I remember she took her life. I had forgotten all about her. And I looked at that name, and, her, and, I, and I just saw her from high school. And she was pretty, and she was so sweet, and she was so nice. And I was trying to remember what, what happened. I couldn't reflect what happened in her life. And here's the thing. Her life got to a point where she was so young at 27, 28, so young. But her life had no more meaning. Her life had no purpose. Her life had no value. And she couldn't, she didn't remember God. See, at the end of the day, the only way life has value is if we remember God. Life is to enjoy. But life has limits. And life is for God. Some of you today, you kind of need to remember God, don't you? I mean, you, you, your life right now has, has been a little bit empty. It's lacked meaning and value. And, and you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. Well, okay, here's what you need to do. Regardless of your age, you need to get back to that place where you remember God. You need to get back to that place where you focus on Jesus Christ once again. And so today you may need to just say, God, my life is lacking value. My life, my life lacks some meaning. I, I want to remember you and give my life back over you and serve you again. So do that. Some of you are not followers of Christ. And I don't care what age you are. You're at a point today where you can give your life to Jesus. And if you give your life to Jesus, your life then will begin to have purpose and meaning like you've never experienced. It doesn't mean your problems will go away, but it means your life will have a value that you've never understood. So come and give your life to Christ today. Some of you have people you love dearly. And you know they need to remember God. Because their life right now is just gone astray. It lacks any real purpose. So what you need to do is pray, God, how can I help people remember you? How can I help the one I love remember you? How can I help this one who is so important to me? How can I help them, God, remember you so their life will have value? What can you do in your love for them to help them remember God? Some of you may want to come and pray today or pray with one of the the staff guys, or maybe you just want to come today and and, and maybe you want to come and join our church. We'd love to have you do this. I, I don't know what it is any of you need to do individually, but I know this. All of us need to leave this place today. All of us need to leave this place today being sure that we do one thing. Be sure you leave here and you remember God. So, Father, we come to honor you and to glorify you and to worship you. We come in the name of Jesus with the full power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to remember you. There are some here today, Father, whose life lack meaning and purpose. There's an emptiness inside them. Help them turn to you 
and remember you through Christ. Help them turn to Jesus and experience a life with meaning, purpose, value. A life that's full. There's some that we know that we love and care about. And their life, Father, has become meaningless and vain. So we pray for them and lift them up and ask that they will come to a place, Lord, where they will remember you and come to Jesus. So whatever we need to do, whatever commitment decision we need to make, we ask that you would speak to us and move us. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to greet you. And you come.